Tony Cruz is an award-winning graffiti artist from the Bronx who's working to spread the word about protecting your eyesight. That's because he himself is losing more of his eyesight every day. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. Tony Cruz is our guest today. Tony, welcome to Cityscape. Thank you for your invitation here, George. Greatly appreciate it. So help us to understand why is it that you're losing your eyesight? I was diagnosed with a macular telangiectasia type 2. Is a, uh, they said it's a genetic disease. The doctor said it's a genetic disease where my um, capillaries burst. My photoreceptor genes are dying out. I have uh, macular degeneration. It's, uh, I have holes in my macula and retina also. How long ago did you start to experience symptoms? It was in uh, 19, uh, not 19, uh, two, 10 years ago. 10 years ago. So 2009, I was in in Los Angeles doing some work. And I noticed that I saw a white spot on my my left side where I was looking at the computer. I was trying to prepare some of my work. And I thought it was the computer. And when I really checked, it was my left eye. And I thought I was becoming diabetic. You know, I was not eating that much candy. And I really didn't pay much mind to it. And I kept on working on on the computer and, 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 and... doing all my work, not realizing that the pressure that I was feeling in my eyes and the discomfort was causing damage to my eyes. And three years after I noticed that problem, then I went to the doctor. Three years? Three years after I started realizing, like, oh, it feels like I can't see a little. I was totally ignoring it because I had some spinal cord problems from my carpentry work, so I was attending to that. And I felt like, well, let me take one thing at a time. But when I went to see the doctors, they diagnosed me with macular injectasia type 2. There's no cure. There's no treatment. So if you had gone earlier, there was still nothing that they could have done? No, there's, there's no cure, no treatment. So they would have um, not been able to do anything. I mean, I just would have been aware of it earlier. And I, you know, had to deal with a lot of doctor visits, a lot of my own personal research. And the thing is that, you know, doing the research on the computer was bothering my eyes also. Mm. So it was like a catch-22 for me as I'm trying to find a cure, trying to understand what I'm going through, where I'm, I'm you know, I, I haven't driven a car for 10 years. I'm a cabinet maker. I, 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 I work as a marketing. I worked on computers. I can't do that as much, you know, uh, like before. So my lifestyle has definitely changed. The quality of my life has changed. This vision loss situation has definitely, you know, has caused depression in my life, anxiety. And I'm working many, many ways to to deal with it. Yeah, how do you work through that? How do you work through those emotions? Well, the first thing is, you know, realizing uh, when when you start losing vision, people don't realize that once you can't drive, that's it, man. Your life changes, you know. And once you, I'm I'm a cabinet maker, and I love my carpentry work, and I can't do that. I do promotions, marketing, and I can't do that. I can't be on the computer like I used to. I can't do my research. So what I started doing was realizing what I can do right now. And it was maybe after I went to the doctor three years later, and then I found out the diagnosis. Then it took me like another maybe two or three years doing research and finding out what's happening and listening to doctors. And a lot of the stuff the doctors were telling me uh, was not accurate. And and my body and my eyes is telling me different. 
And I did some research on my own, and I was able to find a couple of new discoveries about uh, how the, the eyes are affected by the stomach, how the stomach creates T-cells to help the macula and the, and, and, and the retina. And I cause some stomach problems through the anxiety that you go through. So it's a combination of, of many things. I noticed when I eat sodium foods, too much sugar, I get pains in my stomach, and my eyes swell up, and it bothers my eyes also. So I've become someone uh, as a self-healer to start paying attention to my body more. And there's so many different things that affect our eyes that we don't realize. And um, one of the main things that now I say was the cause of my capillaries bursting and the photoreceptor genes that are dying out and the macular degeneration, I say that a lot of it had to do with stress because I was under stress when my mom was sick with cancer. I was taking care of her. And mm-hmm. then I was on the computers since 1996. I didn't know that the bright lights were causing damage to my eyes, and now... Did the doctor say that, or is that something that you have surmised? Uh, I, I realized my, myself by my eyes telling me and my body telling me, like, yo, this is, um, you know, you can't see. Every time I put the light in front of me, my vision goes, it gets blurry, I don't see. And then, you know, some of the doctors will tell you, no, the lights don't do anything. Some, I have one good doctor that uh, he knows that these lights are causing a lot of damage, and I did further intense research the blue light, the LED lights are part of the cause of this issue. And and now with so much uh, in the digital age that we live at now, there's light. we're exposed to these lights everywhere. We spend most of our days staring at a screen, one or another, right? Either on our phones or stationary computers or laptops. So, yeah, so I, I, I'm becoming aware of detecting that, you know, part of the problem came from being on the computer since 1996 working. And now they affect my eyes so much more that I'm like, this this, this got to be the cause of the photoreceptor genes dying out. And I did the research that Harvard Medical School shows, uh, there's studies that the, the blue light is causing macular degeneration, that it's uh, drying up the eyes, it's not letting a protein grow in the eyes. Uh, there's another research that did, uh, it's called hashtag blue light exposed. It's showing how... It's also affecting the attention, uh, people's attention span, uh, their sleeping disorder, their communication. And so it's very interesting how all these things are are, are happening now, and it's starting to affect a lot of other people. You've launched a vision protection awareness campaign to spread the word about the importance of protecting your eyes, right? Yes, I launched the campaign last year. Uh, at Baruch College Computer Center for Visually Impaired. The campaign is entitled Do Not Kill Your Vision, Dim the Lights, and Protect Your Eyes. And I created the campaign to bring to awareness all the research that's being done and studies on these blue lights and LED lights on their effects on our health. So there's a lot of information people don't know about. And thank God that, you know, uh, Bronx Times reporter, a newspaper, Alex Mitchell, and, and their team, they partnered up with me to help me out and support this campaign. Baruch College Computer Center for Vision Impaired, the Commission for the Blind, uh, supported the launch of the campaign at, at Baruch College for the conference. And the interesting thing is that in the Lighthouse for the Blind, Catholic Guild, they're all supporting because they all realize this is a serious issue, especially affecting the children. You know, the children are being bombarded with all these computers like there's no more books. Uh, the lights of the schools and the hospitals. They just, 
unnecessary bright. I was reading a real interesting article about uh, right now there's people around the whole country uh, trying to take the lights out of the, the streets. They're not letting them sleep at night. And they're, they're working very hard to see if they can. <clears throat> there's a town already that took out all the LED lights out. But, you know, everyone is fighting and saying this is going to save a lot of money. They want America to go LED by in the next 20 years, and they're going to save several $150 billion or something. But they have to consider the, the health effects. I understand LED lights are, you know, efficient and effective, uh, and they save money. And I'm not knocking the LED lights. I support all that. I support all the technology, you know, especially that's helping save people's lives. But we have to take into consideration also the the health risk and dangers that these technology causes. How are you going about spreading awareness? What are you doing specifically with this campaign? Well, part of the components for the campaign is I, I do my graffiti art murals with my poetry on the walls to create awareness, especially in the underprivileged communities. What do those look like? Oh, they're beautified uh, with um, background colors, like the one that I did specifically. This one is called The Night Kill Your Vision. And then the lights protect your eyes. And and the background is like a sky of eyes. And they're all staring at you. And on top of that is the poem. And the poem goes, Do not kill your vision. Dim the lights and protect your eyes. So you can enjoy the beautiful sights of life. So you can see the lovely smile on the face of your wife. So you can see your children's, your first child's eyes for the first time. So you can see your parents shed tears and cry so you can see your dying loved ones for the last time staring you dead in their eyes as they say goodbye do not kill your vision dim the lights and protect your eyes where is that mural located that's located in the bronx uh right on leland and westchester avenue right in the corner there in the restaurant joe's place restaurant and um i want to thank joe also for giving me the opportunity to do the mural on the wall he also supported to bring this awareness to the community. And again, that's on Westchester and Leland Avenue. How many of these murals have you created so far? That's the first mural I created. And uh, the other compo- uh, element of the the campaign to create awareness is the workshops. I, I designed a workshop incorporating the graffiti art and the vision protection awareness with the future vision, goals, and careers of the children. So when they express themselves in the painting, they can um, remind themselves that they have to protect their vision along the way that they're trying to achieve their dream. And it was it was very successful. I, I learned a lot from these kids. I mean, uh, it was a kid that had autism there. He was amazing, his response with the artwork. And they took to awareness that they have to dim the lights and they were poking each other like, well, she stays on the phone a lot. She's on the iPad, you know, and she's at night with the light. So some of the kids know. And when I told some of the kids, they go, oh, my God, I don't want to go blind. And they dim the light quickly. They they think that the light is better for their eyes. They go, oh, I thought this was better for my eyes. But but it's not. You have taken your message to the United Nations, haven't you? Yes, yes. I want to thank Kareem Hertz-Zorg from the One Million for One Billion Foundation for inviting me to share this message for protecting the vision and using the power of art as a communications tool and a self-therapy tool. The One Million for One Billion Foundation, they are doing an amazing job uh, creating future leaders. It was a, 
a gift from God for me to be there. I mean, from the home of hip hop, you know, graffiti and graffiti got me to the United Nations and the poetry, but tied in with good meaning, with a good meaning. And and the purpose of the one one billion for one billion foundation is to make the world a, a more global, united place. They're creating all these future leaders, kids that are helping to create filters to help the kids that, that are uh, their villages. Another kid to help people with diabetes, programs for cancer and, and literacy, and helping kids with CPR, and helping kids that are addicted to cell phones. You know, so it was very interesting to see all these young kids with these beautiful, victorious visions. In a way, it was sad for me, you know, because I'm listening to it and I'm saying, "Wow, these young kids have so much passion, these victorious visions, and there's so many things against the world mm-hmm. going against them." You know. But at the same time, you know, we got to stick and remember, you know, we 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 rolling with some powerful force and visions of, of always keeping triumph in mind and, and for humanity, you know, positive things. You grew up in the South Bronx, is that correct? Yes, born and raised in the South Bronx. I'm a Hunts Point baby. <laughs> 1969. That was a great year too. Uh, yes, Happy fiftieth. <laughs> yes, I just turned 50 years old last month, and believe it or not, the campaign had me so busy and taking care of my vision that I haven't even celebrated my birthday. Ah, so it's I'm always be, time. I'm going to be doing it in the next few days. 1969, I was born, Hunts Point. My family came from Puerto Rico. Uh, it was, you know, Hunts Point was a very bad place at that time. And, you know, they all came from Puerto Rico looking for a good, you know, a better future, like they say, the American dream. And it was very tragic for my family. You know, we we experienced a lot of things. You know, in those days in the South Bronx, it wasn't it wasn't pretty good. So we we lost a lot of family members. You know, and friends. And to me, that's uh, what keeps me going. You know, but yes, growing up in the South Bronx, uh, Hunts Point, Southern Boulevard, and we lived in Merrill's Projects. I was there in Merrill's Projects in 1977. I was eight years old coming up the the stairs with milk and pampers and the lights went out. I remember I came from the store with coupons and everything. And that was a crazy experience. It was a real bad project also. But my mom and my aunts were always, you know, taking care of us. They protected us, you know, and grandmother. And and it was a great experience. And I think that right now, you know, speaking at the United Nations, I was there representing all of them. I was there representing... Uh, the, the essence of the essence of hip hop, mm-hmm. which is to uplift yourself, encourage yourself, you know, creativity out of chaos. You're working to help preserve hip hop culture, aren't you? Yes, uh, that's part of my project, the um, hip hop cultural arts preservation project. I decided to do that, and the vision protection campaign is a component of that, which is again to uplift yourself, encourage yourself, and others around you. And that's what we did in the '70s when we grew up in the '80s. And I think that now as you grow older, turning 50, you experience things and you forget certain things when you were young and now it's time to start applying them again. So I'm like, oh, beautiful. You know, we, we, we are the root. We are trailblazers of this. And we can take the essence of, of the spirit of hip-hop, which is, you know, to create and be multi-platformed. And, and the experiences we had, again, um, the South Bronx experience, it was a tragic one, but we have to take those those experiences and, and flip them into triumph, especially a lot of people passed away and always remembering them. And that was hard. your mom's motto, right? Triumph? Yes, my mother always said, triumph, always triumph. A triunfial, siempre a triunfial. 
You know, and my mother, she passed away 14 years ago from leukemia. She was 59 years old. My mother was the the love of the family, the happiness. Her name was Felisa, which means Feliz, you know, happiness. But, you know, her experience and her smile, uh, you know, lives in the heart and memories of many. She was a mother to many people. And, um, you know, I always encourage others, you know, respect your mother. Uh, you know. How did you get involved in graffiti art? I got into graffiti um, when I was uh, about nine years old, like 1979, going into 19, uh, going into 10 years old. I, I was first DJing. I got into DJing first, and I'd say that was like 1978. I was nine years old. <laughs> And we, I, I was inspired by DJing, of course, in, Mer- in Merrill's projects. I remember they were already DJing there. But then I started hanging more with my friends at 179th and, and Southern Boulevard, by 180th. And I started working at a store right in the corner with Austin. And I was that young already working in the bodega. And you had DJ Apache from the Chingalines. You had Top. Top was from 179. He also did the jams and the parties right there. Uh, some of the Chingalines used to come down. We used to do the jams at one to nine. So I was there, and my cousin, Tech Tech 2, the Bronx Boys, TBB, he was a, you know, part of inspiration of uh, the hip-hop culture because he was a DJ. He did a lot of the parties out there with Felipe also. So I used to be there helping him carry the milk crates, you know, 129 to the to the schoolyard jam. And I was always like, what you doing? What's this? You know, how can I learn? It was about, you know, encouraging yourself by going up to others and, and not being close-minded. And so that was that was a good experience there. Then so so I called myself DJ Little Ray. And I found one of my tags from 1979. I have it on my on my school when I went to 129 uh, school. And then, but I mostly got into the graffiti, I would say, by 1979. Then I started tagging up. And by 1980, I started tagging up Ram. And like in 1984, I started tagging up Ram 2. We, in 1982, we created um, the Six Train Boys. That's our crew. Six Train Boys, uh, much respect to all of them. You know, Act 1, BK3, BA, Stan, Fiend, Eric Skis, rest in peace. One of my good friends that... He got killed in the knockout game a few years ago, you know, and, and I was working on trying to do a campaign, man, but this vision stuff has, it gets in the way, you know. I was doing something for diabetes. There's so many things that's happening in the world, you know, and, and taking one thing at a time uh, is what the calling is. Your work as a graffiti artist led you down a path into urban advertising, right? Yes, yes. I was inspired by several artists in the neighborhood, that started making money from their art. One of them was, um, they started doing the murals, you know. Scene, you know, for United Artists was one. Pope, P-O-P-E for United Artists. They were doing Gates. And then one of my teachers, um, Griff One from the TAT crew, and Stan Three from KD, Kings Destroy. These guys were inspirational. And we started doing, um, getting involved with the graffiti and getting together, and, and we just created a, a community and a culture of creative artists. And and what I noticed these past years, now that I've been using artist therapy, I noticed that we've been using artist therapy all these years. Hmm. Hip-hop is like a therapy tool. It's a, it's a tool to, you know, it's a platform that you put yourself in and gives you the ability to, to be free and encourage yourself. And so now I'm thinking like, 
I said, wow, people was always asking me, what does hip-hop mean to you? What does graffiti mean to you? I, like, I don't know. We grew up in it. But now that I stepped out and traveled around the world and I see, now I'm like, wow, this is an amazing experience. I think the, the Bronx needs a lot more uh, art shows, art programs. I mean, they're doing great now. The Bronx is doing outstanding. I respect everybody. The Bronx River Art Center, uh, Michelle, uh, for, for inviting me to, with the campaign. Uh, Bronx Museum of Art, the Metropolitan Museum also. They invited me to go do some workshops with them for the for, for the blind. So there's a lot of great things happening with the art. But I just encourage others to continue using art as a tool uh, for healing, for depression, anxiety, for the seniors, especially the seniors. And, you know, just keep being creative. And, of course, you know, those who believe in God, we can't forget about God. And those who believe in whatever you believe in, just let's focus on Finding something positive. Time is short in life, you know. What you know? are among the things that you miss seeing most? I know you can still see, but your yes. vision is very, very much impacted. So how do you see today? Yes, my vision right now uh, is very tricky. Like I try to explain some people um, my vision. I see you. I don't see you. I see half of your face. I don't see half of your face. That's why I can't drive because... That's the daytime. The nighttime is even worse. When the lights hit me, I just lose total vision. Somebody points a cell phone at me, I'd be ready to smack it off their hand. And I don't mean to do it at, you know, at an angle. It's just the reaction, like trying to protect my vision. So what happens is with my vision, I'm unable to kind of discern certain things, you know. Again, I can look at someone's face and it looks discombobulated, you know, interlocking. Um, sometimes I tell people... Hey, your eye, your face looks like... They go, oh, my God, that's scary. I'm like, yes, it's scary. But protect your vision. And um, But I think that mostly the people have to be cautious if they notice that they're in the computer and they, for some reason, the bright light hits them and they can't see for one second. That one second is going to turn into a minute. And, you know, this is what happens. And my problem just comes up it. You know, if one, I could see for a second, and then I got to wait a minute for my vision to come back. Sometimes if I'm on the phone, like I'm not supposed to, as I'm still getting things together to refine and focus on how I'm going to set up a new working system that's adaptable to my vision, it's a challenge, you know. You're dealing with that, dealing with the the emotions you go through. You got to deal with the past, the things we used to do, and, you know, I mean, I've been around blind people. I've worked with, with, with blind people. and You've worked with Jose Feliciano. Yes, I, I, I represented Jose Feliciano uh, several years ago, back from uh, like 1998 to 2004 as a publicist, marketing director, role manager. And we, we did a lot of great work. And people tell me, you know, you worked with someone that's blind, with Jose Feliciano, and how do you... Can't you? And I said, yes, yeah, it's, it's totally different, you know, when you have sight already and then you lose it. And, and when someone that doesn't have sight, you know, sees it. So it, it, it's also a big challenge. You have to change your programming. You know, I'm, I've been an independent person. I've been working since a kid, since five years old. My mother's trained us to be entrepreneurs. And it's so hard to not be able to do certain things. You know, I've gone through a lot of hardships with this vision loss these past years. Many of my friends know. And, you know, now I feel like, you know, it's all glory. I'm in triumph. I'm learning not to mix up my self-worth with my net worth and, and always keep my spiritual um, value 
you know, high where my mother taught me my integrity. So, yes, this vision loss, just like any other sickness that anyone can get, that will disable their abilities, their capabilities, you know, it's a serious issue. So at least taking precaution, educating yourself, finding ways to minimize these, these LED lights, these blue lights, because they're not going to go nowhere. I did the research. They're not going anywhere. But they are already advocating for um, putting dimmers into the lights, which is what I see, you know, like because mm-hmm. they are unnecessary. They're too bright. You know, you walk by the store, and they got all these bright lights now because, like, every corner in the Bronx looks like 42nd Street back in the 80s or, you know, in the 90s with all the bright lights. But you can't read the sign in the store. You're like, what are they advertising? Lights? Because that's all I see is lights. Mm. But, you know, I'm not the only one complaining. Um, there's more and more people now that are coming up with holes in their eyes. And they are, the lights in the cars are bothering them. The the street lights at night where they're sleeping is coming in through their house and they can't sleep. So it's it's taking the the proteins out of the eyes and not letting you rest the correct way you used to be. Just a lot of interesting stuff, you know. I mean, I, I'm glad that I was able to launch the campaign last year and I got media coverage also from Bronx News 12. Um, thank you very much for their support. And for the New York Post also, thank you for their support. And there's just uh, a lot of more um, discussions that are needed, ways to find out, you know, how to minimize, especially the kids in the school again. I mean, the kids, a lot of parents, a lot of kids I see, they already got problems. They got problems with their vision. And seniors that have diabetes got to protect their eyes because it's not just cell phone and, and computers. The televisions that have, like, that new powerful LED light. Man, I can't even watch TV. So, you know, your lights here, you got LED lights, I can see. Mm-hmm. You have that protector which doesn't let them shine, that shiny glow. Because when that glow hits my eyes, it yeah. feels like a sandpaper, mm-hmm. you know. But, I'm, you know, I have my glasses off and I'm looking at you. You know, of course, I see, you know, double of you. I don't see half of that. And But if I put the shades on, which I'm going to do it to, I just wanted to show you respect, take my shades off when we spoke. Sure. <laughs> Do you spend more time these days with those shades on than off? Yes, yes. I lost a lot of pair of shades already, and I have like five different ones because nighttime, daytime, all depends what location you're at and you're at an event. Sometimes the lights are different measurement, different, you know. It's a big challenge. I mean, I'm on the bus, I'm on the train. I lost my wallets already. I lost cameras because my vision, you know, I, I, I could comes out of my pocket and I don't see it, so now I'm like I'm putting my stuff with zippers and everything, so... You're making the accommodations that you need to make. Yes, yes. How are you able to still create art? How are you able to create like the mural you did in the Bronx considering your vision impairment? Well, thank God I got 40 years experience of graffiti art <laughs> because we used to do it in the dark in the train at night, you know? <laughs> so actually when I was doing the vision protection campaign, you know, it got dark on me. And I just like doing it, but I feel like it was really no problem because I already, you know, got experience. But, yes, it's taken me three more times to do my work. You know, what happens is when I look straight from the macular degeneration problem, my central vision is like it's like a blind spot. You can't put no glasses. No glasses can help you see what, what you can't see. So... What I've been doing, again, all the exercises to help me, you know, release pressure in that. But again, with the experience, you know, I'm learning that my motor skills are like, oh, my motor skill did that. Okay, you know, a lot of the things are being revealed. That's why I say that 
blind people, man. And, you know, my experience working with Jose Feliciano and and, and he supports the campaign. He's happy that I'm doing what I'm doing and, and much respect to Jose. Just made 50 years of music last year. Mm-hmm. He's going to be uh, at the Puerto Rican Day Parade. He's going to be honored. And his encouragement, you know, he's always positive and he always, you know, encouraged me to always push the envelope, you know, what he did when he was young. But I say <clears throat> that working with him and seeing his accomplishments, his his passion, his vision, you know, he has a courageous vision. Blind people have more courage than people that are sighted, man. Because this is a crazy world we're living in. There's a lot of violence, a lot of stuff happening. All in all, there's a lot of beautiful things happening. I mean, all in all, I say there's more good things happening than bad. But... You know, the bad things are exposed, and the most thing that's exposed is where you get programmed. So if you don't see the positive, you won't know about it. But, you know, the blind people have a tremendous courage. And and, and now I surround myself around the blind, low-vision community. I help advocate for them. And, and I'm learning from them so much because um, my whole key goal of this campaign and this interview is to bring the sighted people and the non-sighted people together to realize, like, you know, how did they go blind, you know? And so there's many ways we have to protect our eyes, not just the blue lights either. You know, you do construction work. You know, the sun also affects your eyes and all these chemicals from all these products that you get from the 99 cent store. You know, I'm not knocking nobody because I go there. Tony, thank you so much for coming in. Well, thank you, uh, George, and I appreciate everything. And again, um, may everyone have victorious visions, and God bless everybody. You can follow Tony Cruz on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at Tony Cruz Ram 2 And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarkey. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow. And thank you so much for listening.